Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed it is. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. Tonight, Mike Baguetta, the guitarist, if you heard the, at the time of this recording still patron only Mike Watt episode uh you'll know all about this guy or if you saw MSSV or any of the other iterations of this fantastic player we're gonna have a mic on and I'm very excited to talk to him he's a interesting cat uh and they got a new record and it's awesome so that's a good reason to come on Proton Conversal and that is indeed what is happening so yeah, let's. Uh, we're gonna get right down to it. Let's do this uh, spiel here, as uh, as Watt always says. Welcome to Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. I am your host, Conan Neutron. I'm a rock and roll lifer who has toured and recorded for over 23 years. Most known for the band Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. Music is a huge part of my life, and I use the format of this long-running podcast to talk about music with musicians whose work I enjoy and respect. Folks, the may or may not be household names, but do something very special. This is episode 315. If this is your first time listening to the show, all the archives are at protonconversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you'd like to support the show and get episodes sooner, give $1 a month to patreon.com slash protonconversal. And if you like the show or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along, like, subscribe, or post a review. All that helps people find the show, and it's just a darn nice thing to do. All right. There we go. That wasn't so bad, right? <laughs> Those are getting a little less unnatural, <laughs> which is good. Uh, so without further ado, let's uh, let's let's talk to the guitar man himself, uh, Mike Begetta. Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Conan. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was jamming your record, the, the new record, that is to say, uh, earlier, and uh, it's a ripper, man. Like, it's a good... It's a good kind of like have on while you're like active and doing stuff. I'm talking about the, the new one, Every When We Go, I'm talking about, which is that Baguette. So it's under the name Jazz Style, Mike Baguetta, Jim Keltner, Mike Watt, right? I got, yeah, cor- I lot, got corrected on this. Style. <laughs> I got corrected on this by Watt and I felt bad about it, but I was like, I was like, I could, I'm like, I can get these. Yeah, keep the record straight. I know, I know. Uh, and I, well, but there's understandable confusion because MSSV. Main steam, not stream, stop valve was a thing. So it's understandable that there could be some confusion. Is, is still a thing. Is a thing. So, <laughs> so again, 
because people have a hard time paying attention to literally anything. <laughs> uh, but you have kind of like two operations. Now, I, I, I know because I've listened to the classic Mike Watt episode from earlier this week by nature of recording it. But uh, it started off with Live Flowers. There's MSSV with the record main steam stop valve. And then there's the sort of like jazz standard. Here are the players. Everyone we go. What's the distinction? Well, there's, there's another one before that. And there's another before one before that. You're right. Yeah, of course. I just, uh, <laughs> see? Let me, let me uh, <clears throat> I know Watt went over with a fine tooth comb, but I'll, I'll do it here too. And then if you get two different sounding voices saying the same thing, I think it's going to increase my chances of having everybody <laughs> stay on the timeline. Actually find it. Yeah, exactly. So the first the first record <clears throat> that I did with Watt was called Wall of Flowers. Wall of and Flowers, that yep. is a Mike Baguetta, Jim Keltner, Mike Watt band. That was the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to tour that album when it came out in 2019. And uh, Jim, he doesn't really travel anymore. And so uh, I still wanted to do something. Watt said he was down. And I said, well, let's find a different drummer. Right. And uh, I got in touch with Stephen Hodges. Who's a monster player. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, who's, you know, one of the greatest drummers in the world and obviously one of my favorites too. And I was pleased that he was willing to do that. So he signed on to do the tour. We recorded uh, all those shows and we put out a record called Live Flowers. And that was the first MSSV recording. On that tour, we decided, oh, you know what? This is different enough that it should be its own its own band, its own project. So we came up with the name, the names of Watt Suggest, and uh, for a lot of good reasons, we kept it. And then after, uh, we did another little tour late in 2019, uh-huh. and then that was kind of to work out the music for the mainstream Stop Valve studio recording, which came out in uh, late 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's MSSV called mainstream Stop Valve. And uh, we did a tour for that one uh, earlier this year, spring, uh, I guess it's 2022, right? So uh, yes, yes. March and April, I don't know. Was, was so that hard. the one, I don't, I don't want to interrupt you because you're doing a great job explaining it. Was that the one where you played all the different regions of California? I thought that was a cool... That was the end of 2019. That was the one where we warmed up the music to record the record. I yeah. feel like you got all the regions, but like Eureka. I know. I kind of, I, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to hit every climate zone in California. Yeah. You know, we did SoCal on the coast. We did uh, desert. We did Central Valley. We did um, nor- uh, kind of Paci- uh, uh, like Bay Area coast. Yeah, and yeah, then the Pacific Coast. Bay Area. And then I forgot, oh, there's a whole other top half of California that's like the Redwoods and stuff. Which is which is beautiful, but it's, it's, it's very out of the way. Uh, yeah, and that's well, one of the reasons why you should play it, of course. But like, of it, course, it, yeah, right, yeah. For bands we'll that are on tour, it's harder to make the time if you're trying to get. I guess like a weed or Wairika yeah. or those kind of places. But. I suppose you could play there, yeah. But anyway, um, and I, but I'm interrupting the explanation I asked for. Well, no, no, no. no. So, so anyway, yeah. so we, uh, so then, uh, so then, uh, late last year, almost a year ago, exactly, uh, me and Jim and Watt got together again, and we recorded this new album, Every When We Go, which is mm-hmm. the second. Mike Bagetta, Jim Keltner, Mike Watt record. Um, but after the 2022 MSSV tour, MSSV recorded another record, which I'm working on right now. That's going to come out fall of next year when we do our next uh, U.S. tour also. So it's two kind of tandem projects. Yes, MSSV grew out of the very first Watt Kelt, uh, yeah. Bagetta, Keltner, Watt record. 
but they're two totally different bands. Um, and uh, I do have sympathy for anyone that can't keep track. Of this. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the, the key factor is it's all worth paying attention to. It's all very good music, but it's um, for sure. I keep I keep a closer I keep closer attention than most, and I, I still screwed it up at least twice. So I mean, I, that's sometimes uh, I forget which band I'm into. <laughs> also, how many times have you gotten people doing mainstream stop valve? Oh man, I've got <laughs> you would believe what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, it's main, main steam stop valve. An easy way to remember it is that it's a very important part of the motor of a steamboat. Right. It's the part that keeps the engine running. It's kind of like the main valve. So I, if you think about that, you won't get it wrong. I actually do know what it is, but my autocorrect did not. And I'd be like, no, 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 stop, stop. I, that I, actually <laughs> happens with every when we go. Also, a lot of like computers aren't familiar with the concept of every when yet. So they keep changing it back to everywhere. Yeah, I think you mean everywhere we go. No, I actually don't. I don't mean that, but... <laughs> Yeah. We got to teach the technology sometimes. Yeah, you know, exactly. As uh, as Mike once said in, in a Minutemen video that I stole for an album title, machines will always let you down. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So the, this, this Loose Limb collaboration, the, the incredible Jim Keltner. I mean, for people that are not familiar, you know his work. Like it's, it's, he's on like all these fantastic records, you know, he's with the, <laughs> did stuff with the Wilburys. Like he's just, just amazing um, session guy, uh, kind of getting, I mean, you wouldn't know it necessarily looking at him, but kind of getting up there in years. I mean, is, didn't he just turn like 80 or something? Yeah. Yeah. So he's not road dog in it. Right. I mean, like it, it's, it's, and that's kind of like what, how you got Hodgson. Not, yeah. Not that I know of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I think uh, Jim has always been, uh, you know, well known as, this, you know, the guy call for any session you have. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, he just has made a choice to, to kind of hang, hang near the homestead more. And that's totally, totally commendable. So yeah, that is what led to, to getting Hodges in, in this thing. So when you're originally envisioned this to so go back to, so flower is, is, so flowers is the first one, right? If I remember correctly, wall of flowers is the first, uh, Bagetta Keltner Watt record. Yep. Right. So when you are putting that together, was the idea like, Hey, let's just put something together. Like let's, let's make a thing. Like, or did you have the idea of turning into a live band? And no, no, actually I, I thought we wouldn't, I thought nothing would ever come of it except the record. My friend, Chris Schlarb, he, uh, he runs the studio out in Long Beach called Big Ego Studios. Mm -hmm, yeah. And he was starting a record label called Big Ego Records. You see a theme here, right? And uh, he and I had been friends for a number of years before this. And uh, when he was starting all this up, he asked me, would I like to do a record for his label at his studio? Right. And I said, uh, yeah, of course I would, but I only want to do it if I can do something that I've never done before. And um, yeah. This gets into a long story, so let, let me know when you're tired. It's, it's a long-form show, so please, by all means, lay into it. <laughs> it's a seven-hour story. So okay, well, hey, man, it's, it'll be the until the end of the world of Protonic Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, but so I had been uh, recording my original music for a label in Barcelona called Fresh Sound. Yeah. And uh, that's run by a guy named Jordi Pujol, and, and he was, like, uh, super supportive of me. He gave me my first record deal, you know, to be able to record my own music Mm -hmm. on a, on like a somewhat known indie label and not have to spend any of my own money to do it. Like from the beginning, that was like unheard of, you know? And it was a label, Freshtown was like a label that I'd already had a lot of respect for. I'd really loved a lot of music that they put out. 
um, early earlier on in my my life. Uh, so I did four records with them, and it was you know records with my friends that I was living in New York at the time, and I'd made these little bands and had people that I was friendly with learn my music, and they would play my music. And in my mind, I always thought like if you wanted to make a great record, you obviously would have to make the music with your friends that you've known for years and years and years and years, right? That's the way that all great bands are, right? That, That's that always the story. Thought. Yeah, everything's got to be like the monkeys where y'all live in the same house together. Or something <laughs> right, like yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, my dad is a guitar player and I remember like his band coming over the house and practicing when I was little and I'd sit on the top of the stairs and listen to them, but they they were like friends for a really long time and stuff. And, and I think also I'd heard some records where I knew one way or another, I knew that the people on the record like didn't really know each other or like the band leader had called like, you know, some name, some famous dude to guest on the record to get some street cred or whatever. And right. and I always remember that kind of stuff feeling kind of cold, like never feeling like, wow, what a great timeless album. I never felt right. that way about those records, just yeah, yeah. the ones I've heard and my own mental attitude at the time or whatever. So in my mind i was like if you want to make a great record you can only do it with people that you've known for forever uh okay so we'll fast forward a little bit here i was talking to a, a friend of, of mine a great amazing guitar player composer named david torn and his uh, i believe it's his first record that he did for the ecm label it's called cloud about mercury and uh it's his music guitar compositions with um mark isham on trumpet and electronics uh, Tony Levin on bass and Bill Bruford on drums. All right. And like an electronic, like tonal drum. Yeah, right. Yeah, sounds okay. Yeah, I'm in. You're good down, right? And yeah. So that's like always been a really like a cool record, kind of one of my favorites. And I remember um, asking him about it, asking him something about it. And I think I alluded to like the fact that like, uh, yeah, it must have been pretty cool to make that first record with like guys you'd known forever. And he was like, oh, I didn't know any of them. I cold called all those guys for that record. Awesome. I think he even like sent you like wrote a letter and sent it to Bruford over in the UK and stuff. And he got back in touch with him. It was this whole wow. like great story that he has. It's actually amazing. And I remember like listening to this though. And keep in mind, I'm like in my mid thirties when he's telling me this. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. sitting here going, wait, you mean you didn't know any of those guys? And then the subtext is like, oh, so you can make a great record with people that you've never met. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I, I hadn't been clued into that until I was, you know, 36 or whatever, however old I was when he told me. That's really so, funny. That's really yeah, funny. Yeah. And I'll tell you that in a reason after afterwards. Okay. Uh, I think okay. That, that age specifically is funny, but yeah, go ahead. I won't let you forget. And then, um, so, uh, okay. So then a little bit after this, maybe a year after this, or whatever, I've been thinking about this, Mr. Schlarp, gives me this opportunity and I said, okay, I want to do it, but I only want to do it if I can do it this way. I want to try to make a band and make a great record with people I've never met and who've never met each other. And I want to see how this is going to work for me. And so he said, okay, who do you want to use? And immediately I knew Mike Watt and Jim Kellner. Why haven't these guys played together before? They like both two of my favorite uh, instrumentalists on their respective instruments, but also in the way that they serve the songs that they play in different ways, but they have some kind of similar like approach to respecting the the music or something, I thought. And so I thought it was a kind of an obvious choice. But so time goes on a little bit, maybe six, eight months, and we keep talking about it and we figure out a way that we can make this happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris uh, 
wrangles all the cats that need to be wrangled and we all can meet for one day i think it was in uh may of uh, 2017 mm-hmm. it says it on the record but i forget uh so we had one day in the studio at chris's studio in long beach and i met watt that day and i met jim that day and jim met watt that day <laughs> so you get so 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 to get this straight none of you fellows had ever actually met in person before correct Awesome. So we meet in the studio the day, and we only have one day to make the record. Right. <laughs> no press. Yeah, no press. Yeah. And, well, what was funny is that I came in with a stack of music um, that in my mind I thought, you know, yeah, we'll just hammer out these tunes and we'll make a record, which is kind of something that I'd been doing on my, my fresh sound records. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a really good learning experience for me because I got to see how different people can work in different ways that I hadn't been exposed to before. Um, and for a variety of reasons, it wasn't going to be the type of session that I, that I had been used to. So we recorded the first song hospital song. Okay. And that felt great right from the get go. And then, um, and then I think maybe we tried one of the other songs that I'd written, but it was kind of like not really a groover and had some weird time stuff and whatever. And it was kind of a difficult tune for, for everybody to link up on. So we took a break and uh, maybe we did the Wallflower song first before that even. Maybe we got two in the can. But then we took a break and we were hanging out for a while. And I think at one point, <clears throat> I just kind of asked Chris and I suggested to those guys, how would you feel about just improvising for a while? And they were down to do it. So we went back in the studio and I think we improvised for like three hours straight. And that was pretty much the rest of the session. At the very end, me and Jim did a duet on that song, Blue Velvet. But so... At the end of the day, we had like two so- two actual songs, this duo of me and Jim playing Blue Velvet, and then three hours of improvised material. Right. I was going to say, because also- that is the record. I was gonna, not going to bring it up until like, there was a good point, but I do like the iterations of Blue Velvet, because that's one of my favorite films, and it's a very haunting. Oh, film, oh yeah. Say. I mean, the song is like a great old Torch song, but of course yeah. there's like the Lynch connection I, I like the song on its own i, I like the uh, the movie with the song and, and i like the interpretation of it so but yeah since it's you brought it up i bring it, it up but yeah it makes you feel like it's probably a, a creepier thing going on right, exactly there's there's like some kind of undercurrent of uh, yeah darkness. i mean if we've all seen the movie you can't unring the bell at this point but some of those some of those 50s pop tunes like we know like we we know of course that america was not so clean cut as those 50s it had the appearance of it just like it did in the movie right it has yeah, the appearance exactly, of being exactly. like idyllic but there's something kind of underhanded about right. the whole thing agreed but anyway, um sir, please continue anyway sorry just, yeah so anyway so uh so i went home and i kind of listened to everything and i listened to the improvised material and i was like wow there's some really amazing stuff on here and i don't think i've ever heard these guys play this way um and so what i did is i thought okay i could take a pay another page from David Torn's book, which is basically, you know, the cliff notes version is like, you could improvise a lot of stuff, find a, maybe a starting point and an ending point, do a chop. And then what I did is I went and I transcribed everything that Jim was playing, everything that Watt was playing, everything that I was playing. And then I decided I could recompose to um, some of those elements and then overdub, guitars with those elements going on so that 
it gives the impression maybe what I hope it does is it gives the listener the impression like I don't know if this is composed or improvised. Ah, gotcha. So it could seem like free music, but also seem like a written, written and composed. Yeah, okay. but there's no way some of those things could happen if it's if it's totally free, and there's no right. way some of those things could happen if if it was composed either. Um, well, I like those in between the spots, you know. Well, and and I mean, I so I don't think that obviously wouldn't be possible if you didn't know how to notate music and and uh, have, have like like that background I would imagine unless you're just <laughs> well I I do have that background but I could see it being possible I mean you would just have to I guess you could mm, you, yeah without making your own language your own code book or something along yeah those which lines, I think a lot of which is fine do, do, and, and you know? you're probably right about that yeah but anyway which so, is what notation is anyway somebody had this idea and it's stuck you know yep. it, it's like it could have been somebody else's idea with some other symbols and they could have some guy got lucky that day you know yeah you could <laughs> easily put tablature to be egyptian hieroglyphs and like yeah yeah, yeah exactly out, you know? exactly <laughs> but anyway whatever works I yeah think, what, you know? whatever works indeed so okay so you um, so you so you mark it out right and then you yeah so actually I, got, I don't know if you can see i got these music books back there but those notebooks are filled with some of this stuff and like my other little kind of um yeah there they are up yeah. there so some of those in the back, I think, are the ones I use for Wall of Flowers. So they're nice. just like all marked up and stuff. But um, so anyway, so I did that and I just did that for the first two chunks of that three hours of improvised stuff. Uh, and on Wall of Flowers, it, these are the, the songs I'm talking about are called uh, uh, I Am Not a Data Point and mm -hmm. um, Dirty Smell of Dying. Uh, and so that was the deal. That was the whole record. And then I had another like two hours of improvised material just kind of sitting around, you know. Um, but that was what happened. And then, uh, you know, what happened to, to get into the record that we're talking about today, the new one, Everyone We Go, the reason that came about, back to your original question, I figured we would just do that one record and it would be really amazing and we'll see what happens yeah. and that would be it you know just one and done just just, just, just music for the yeah, just a really cool experiment and yeah. just a learning experience and get to hang with with people and whatever and make some good music um but then it what one thing that was really cool was that watt was into uh doing doing the tour and then that turned into mssv which has turned into my main project at this point which is really gratifying and i mean i've learned so much from hanging with those guys and working with those guys. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like I, we did an interview after the last tour, the spring tour we did was the uh, 48 shows and 48 days tour. And uh, at the end of that, we did an interview and, you know, the, the person interviewing us was talking about, I, I was telling them the story about the wall of flowers thing, like what's it like to make music and with people you don't know. And this band came out of that, but then we've done so much and traveled together that now I just feel like I'm in a band with my friends again. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so it's come back around, and, and there is a fam that familiarity. You have that sort of kind of weird telepathy that comes from familiarity, like with a with a bandmate, you know, where where people that are great improv players seem to have that anyway. But this it hits differently, and I, but I yeah, that, but also just the hang, like you know, yeah. just sitting in the van for countless hours sure. and just talking about music and then emailing every week and phone calls and just enjoying each other's company and you know it's it's funny how these things happen you know but um so i had this two hours of of kind of the the rest of the original improv session so uh right before covid i was kind of starting to mess with it and chop it up more and i chopped it up into like five or six other pieces and i transcribed it all out again and i recomposed all this material they're like these little symphonic free improv composition work things 
and um, got it, got it mixed, got it mastered, and uh, I sent it to uh, Chris and said, "Do you like this record?" And he was, he was into it, and I said, "Great, let's we can put it out," you know. And I think he had, uh, I think at one point in the process, I'd sent some stuff to Jim, and he'd heard it, and he was like, "Hey, it sounds good." But then um, when the record was all done and ready to go, I think uh, Chris had. This is sort of secondhand information, but I, as far as I understand, Chris sent the files to Jim. Jim took a listen, and he said, uh, he said something like, this sounds really good, but if we want to do another record, it's already been like two or three years. Why don't we just do another record so that it'll sound like the way we sound now? Right. And so I thought, like, well, that's a really cool suggestion, and if that's a suggestion coming from uh, Mr. Keltner, I think we should, you know, take take advantage of that. So... Um, it took a little time because it was like height of COVID and all this stuff. But then, uh, last year, November, 2021, we got together for another day and, and we did all of this. So there you have it. Great. Okay. So th there's, there's, there's a few things to go, uh, with all that, but I like the idea. So the, that wallflowers record, especially like it, it does have the feeling of like, um, th there's a certain, there's a certain kind of more relaxed feel, but kind of like there's 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 an edginess to it as well that comes from people that are great players and they know how to make music and they know how to compose and play music but it's their first time playing together like i think um when people think of some of the you know some of the great jazz records right some of those guys is oh it's some so and so was just sitting in that one time and that was the only time that that happened and right. uh but because everybody is so great at what they're doing it it not only works it like it's, it has this interesting alchemy that uh transpires and brings out the best in everybody so so that's awesome in and of itself but then when you're like oh we know how to do this we kind of know how to do this with each other what happens next and that's i think that's cool as hell too because then you get to kind of like okay wait which way are we going to dig deeper not even like can we dig deeper it's which way are we going to dig deeper and i i think that makes it very interesting and I think it's a cool record, man. Like, and it's uh, I, I want to get more into the minutia of it. Um, the, the everyone we go record I'm talking about, not everywhere yeah. we go is your auto correct. <laughs> we'll likely do, um, but logistically, so you're you're based out of you're like Florida or something, right? Is that correct? Yeah, my wife and I just moved to Gainesville, Florida, about a year ago. And Watson, of course, Pedro. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as 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 the world knows. So logistically, uh, so how do you make it work logistically? I mean, there has to be a lot of like uh, sending stuff back and forth. There has to be a lot of communication, right? For uh, the MSSV stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's so, sorry to switch gears so suddenly on that, but, like, but <laughs> no, I'm just I'm okay, thinking yeah. about it in terms of because um, there's always a thing I, I always talk about how the. You know, when people record, you record the record, then you tour on the record, and like, you know, the, the, you never want to play the songs again by the end of it, but they sound great. <laughs> see, see, man, this is my whole thing, right? What you just said is what always happens. And I yeah. was in so many bands, like as a side, side person, where that would happen. And I would always, at the end of the tour, I would think, why the hell does everybody do it this way? We should make the record now. You know, so that's what well, I'm killing it. Where it's just like it's like it's just the best possible version of this song, but it's yeah, like you that's know, what I always try to do. That's what I always try to do. Even the Fresh Sound records, like even like the last two Fresh Sound records, I would just book like 
real tiny little short mini tours, you know, a yeah. week of gigs and then make the record right after the, the little tour. And, but that's what I've carried through into the MSSV stuff. We did that California tour. We recorded the record, right? We did the 48 day, uh, Haru tour days, 49 and 50. We recorded the record that's coming out next year. Right. It makes so much more sense to me. You know, you just go in and the music has evolved in ways that you, as the, if you're a single composer on a song, you're never going to conceive of the stuff that people bring into it. That's the beauty of playing with other people. Yeah, right? that's collaboration, right? <laughs> that's collaboration of all kinds. Yeah. And if you're not taking advantage of capturing that, you might as well sit home with the MIDI stuff and do it. You know? Yeah, you yeah, exactly. Good that way, but you're not going to get that magic of actually having other people that aren't you digging into music over and over and over and over. Yeah. So the idea of like road testing it and, and kind of, and also there's things that, you know, there's always when you're composing, you have these moments like, Oh, this, this is really cool, man. I'm so excited for this. And then, you know, you, you, you take it out of the laboratory and it's like, right. it's terrible. Right. <laughs> we're like, whatever. Or like worse, like, uh. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, sometimes I'll play like solo gigs, and um, and I'll I'll bust out like newer kinds of things like that, just so that I have a place to try it. It's got a workshop. Sure, sure. It's it's why open, yeah. open mics. You, gotta, you figure stuff out real fast that way, you know. It's why comedians do open mics. <laughs> it's like yeah, the the, exactly. the the risk is low, uh, mm -hmm. but you can kind of see see what works. And in that same way, there are things that maybe you are just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, this is fine. And then people like really connect with it, or people really get. And sometimes there might be something that you think is not is not good, but then yeah. when you play it with other people, all of a sudden you see it in from a different perspective, right. and you realize, oh, there is potential there, you know. But with uh, with MSSV, what I'll do usually going back to the MIDI thing, what I'll do usually is I'll actually uh, I use this little pad here mm -hmm. for a bunch of stuff, and uh, I kind of hammer out the bass lines and the drum parts on that, and I make demos that I will email to Watt and uh, Hodges. And um, they inevitably they change it a little bit. Yeah, they're gonna uh, put their own spin on. They put their own voice into it. Much yeah. prefer than copying yeah. my dumb stuff. Um, but I write the parts thinking of those guys. I think about Watts sound. That all the music on the new record that's coming out next year, the new MSSV record. Um, a lot of that was built from the bass line, starting from right. the bass part, not line, the bass part, and kind of orchestrating the song from that. And I'm starting to write the next batch of MSSV music that we're going to record after the next tour. And that I'm really starting to think about building that up from the drums and the way that specifically the way Hodges approaches the drums as kind of almost this like, you know, dancer, really like sensitive kind of player. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to meld those things, you know, it's such a gift to be able to orchestrate in this way for people that have such like strong amazing voices on their instruments that really can influence me in a way that i've never been influenced i mean it's such a gift it's really like kind of bizarre to me you know but but anyways a lot of it will start here i'll send it off to them and i do go out to the west coast a fair amount for um other, other kinds of gigs and session work and stuff like that and so when i do that i try to um hang with those guys and maybe we can get some practice and stuff like that yeah and and I think there's a lot of what you said there that, you know, is, is sort of like the, the nature of composing and being creative in, in this day and age, right? We, we can utilize these communication tools, you know, for more than just radicalizing grandma on the internet. We can, we can be creative with it. We can, we can, in days of yore where it would be like, 
hey, I made a four track of, of me playing this stuff. It's like you can show works in progress. You can kind of, <laughs> hey, that's cool. Like, I think this arrangement, you know, the arrangement would be better if, you know, we did something here. And then you can just change it and then and kind oh, yeah. of move on rather effortlessly or uh, breezily, if you will. Yeah. And I mean, you can even record it now. Like, we're not yeah. the only ones to do this by far, but over lockdown, MSSV put out three seven inches that were all recorded completely all in our own little compartments you know i would send the demo uh hodge would lay down the drums he'd send the track back i'd maybe do something else and i'd send it to watt and he'd play bass to the drums and then i'd send it back and change the guitar parts and then we'd go send it to get it mixed and mastered and send it to the guy the label that was going to put it out so there's three seven inches that are each kind of like their own little concept yeah but all of those were recorded where we were you know, not able to be. You weren't even in the same room. Yeah. Which is, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, I think they sound, they sound real good. I mean, they still sound like MSSV stuff. They still sound like the band playing, you know, and as isolating as, you know, the past couple of years have been for folks and, uh, alienating and whatnot. It it is, it is somewhat astounding that you can utilize these tools if you're so inclined and willing to kind of put the effort in to, uh, to do things like that. It's fantastic. Well, it's a total lifeline too. Like if you, if you can't get together to play music, I mean, and you're a musician, you know, <laughs> you got to figure it out or you're just going to lose your mind. You know, it's good to do that or just literally bounce off the walls. Yeah. Pretty much. That's, that's it. So I think that, uh, well, okay. So, and, and Watt mentioned that there was new MSSV stuff coming, which, which is exciting. Uh, what, um, what do you get out of – so let's stick with MSSV for a minute. What do you get out of MSSV that you haven't had in other outfits, in, in other live bands um, specifically? Like what What about th- those guys who are fantastic players, obviously? I mean, I was before he ever played with Watt, I was a big Hodges fan. I mean, that guy is a – monster right I mean, oh yeah it's, it's, yeah all those tom waits records i mean one Bush of my stuff. favorite artists of all time right and like yeah. what the uh, with tom waits like what's like one of the biggest things the percussion it's all like booming and, and oh yeah and yeah, all that crazy like and... trash circus drum stuff yeah yeah <laughs> exactly really there's right. a mule in a boat and like someone's yeah. banging on garbage cans about it exactly yeah, yeah, and i say yeah. that as a fan uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like but you know you every time you play with different people you it's now chemical reaction people have different uh things that they do different uh uh, body language different uh mannerisms etc so so what did you what have you picked up from hodges and watt from doing mssv because i think it's interesting you guys you guys toured a lot you're out like for a while and like long enough to be like oh this is like a unit now this isn't like guys playing this is like a band oh yeah no for sure um you know there's two things when you ask that question because i haven't really thought about that because i kind of just spend my time in the doing you know and when i'm in it there's like yeah there's all these things that i I feel and stuff and then when it's over i i just look forward to the next time but i think thinking about like why that is there's two things that i can think of um the first thing is that i have never been around people in one of my projects that have so consistently been so like outwardly dedicated to internalizing my music every night. Mm. I mean, the amount that like we were all ready to work on and change and talk about the music to every gig, every morning, every sound check, after the gig, 
before the next gig, on the way to the next gig, all the way up until the recording was finished. It was like unbelievable that these guys were like so down with me to to take that trip. Um, it's a huge, I mean, that's a huge thing. That's a major sign of respect. That's like a nod of confidence. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a lot. Yeah, the confidence thing is really big for me because like, you know, I think, I, I don't think it's a weird thing to say because I think everybody, if they're like a creative person or, or even if they're not, if you're like a human being, <laughs> I think you feel this way. But a lot of times you kind of have a feeling of like, you don't know if what you're doing is good or not you know like some people call it imposter syndrome or they there's all these phrases for it but i think at the end of the day if you care about something you probably have some self-doubt about it you know and especially uh, when, when you get really into it you kind of hearts of darkness like really get down the river with it you're like well it's oh, just, yeah. i don't even know where i am anymore what what's what yeah is exactly this? yeah right what you is music what is this <laughs> go down the tunnel for sure yeah but but even for me it's like i'll do things and i'll go like yeah i think this is this is fun for me yeah. uh is is everybody else having a good time you know um and so to know that through the actions of those guys to be able to to clearly want to work on the music even when i'm not there you know i would there's plenty of times i'd walk into a conversation between hodge and watt like trying to figure out something with the rhythm section on the song and i'm just sort of like oh there they are working on my music again while i'm like going to find a banana or something around town, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just a it was just a really cool, yeah. a really cool, like, self-confidence thing. But also, it just made the music better. That's the most important thing. And when you have people that you can count on and that you can trust to make the music better, you can trust everything. And if you have trust together, then everything's going to come out better, especially if you're able to, like, accept that trust and then give that trust back. So in a way, like, for me you know, MSSV becomes like this perfect band idea in a way. Like we all have each other's trust to be able to work on the music all the time together and know that we're just trying to get the best thing out of it as we go. So that's really cool. And that's something I've never experienced like to this, to this level, you know, for sure. People would, they'd check out the music for the rehearsal and stuff like that. But I mean, I don't think they were like eating and breathing this music on tour like like these guys. Yeah, obviously. that level of engagement is something special, and it's something. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's you know there's still like that when I send send stuff. I, it's just a gift to be able to work with people that love music, who love working on music as much as I do. Um, yeah, because some people second... that's that's an important thing to mention. Some people love playing music, and some yeah. but not everyone loves playing music and working on music. Yeah. That is a key distinction, I think. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good thing to point out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because it's, you know, when you hit the stage, it's like, that's its own thing. Yeah. But there's a lot that's gone on behind that and before that to make that possible. Um, and just, I've just seen different levels of that from different people. But I, I've always felt like I, I've always wanted to do it 110%. And now I feel like I'm with two other guys that want to do it 100 and. 20 percent you know did you have uh, how about vocals so for how, <laughs> as a player as someone that comes from like that sort of you know that to a certain degree that sort of jazz world that instrumental world where you can make the instrument kind of uh, take the place of like a vocal line or something along those lines uh was the original intention to keep it instrumental was there a re- intention in that at all like what's because there, there's, there's, well, there's some I would argue your point that it, yeah I do have a jazz background but I've always loved all kinds of music 
yeah, I don't mean to put you in a corner or put you in a box. <laughs> or anything, but that's... I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to get out of this corner. So I, um, fair, fair. We were trying you know, to There's question. a lot of great instrumental music <laughs> that is not, you know, the J word, right? Like you could look at Jeff Beck. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, he's like one of the great guitar players and like predominantly instrumental. Yeah. Dwayne yeah. Eddy. You could yep. look at Link blah, Ray. Blah, blah. <laughs> Link Ray. Right. Yeah. So we'll just put that out there. But um, at the same time, I had always, I've always loved music with words, you know, yeah. the storytelling aspect, the sound of the voice, the personality behind it. It's like, man, I, I can't tell you like how much I love it, you know? And I remember when I was younger, when I was maybe like 13 or 14 and kind of starting on guitar, I had a guitar teacher and, uh, you know, I'd learned my little chords and stuff like that. And my first teacher was my dad. He was really cool. He showed me all. He showed me all kinds of great stuff that got me started. But then I had like a, you know, like a teacher teacher that wasn't him. And uh, I remember I learned a song that I was playing guitar and I was singing along with it. I forget what song it was, but I, I remember playing it for the teacher. And his response was basically like, uh, yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah, maybe no more singing. <laughs> and, wow. you know, at that, at that <laughs> age, you just kind of like you hang your head and you're like, all right, yeah. I won't do that again. Yeah, that's um, that's a harsh. I joke. should have had the attitude of like, forget this guy, man. I'll do whatever I want, you know. Yeah, but I, I didn't. I kind of responded to it, and uh, it really shut me down for like a long time. Yeah. Uh, that said, expressing myself through the instrument has always been a really cool thing to strive to do. So I, I didn't really feel like I was lacking for stuff. But I had a lot of friends who sang, and I listened to a lot of music with vocalists. And I remember thinking like, oh man, I wish I wish I could do that. Um, from that early ex earlier experience, but over um, when we when we did the first uh, MSSV studio record, right, Mainstream Stop Valve, there are uh, two two pieces on there. Yeah, with Watt vocals. There's like the 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 theme for, for lack of a better term, and then the theme song, the theme song, the, the, the Eureka the... moment, <laughs> and then uh, nine twenty December that Watt uh, wrote after his his mom's passing. Yeah, um, and both of those were basically me coming up with the music and kind of coming, maybe trying to come up with some melody stuff, guitar melody stuff and thinking like, man, actually what these need are, are words. They feel like they would do great. And so I sent the music to Watt and I was like, Hey, you want to put some words to this? And he was like, sure. And he figured something out and put the words down. So I was like, Hey, that's great. These, that worked out cool. And then when we were doing our, uh, our lockdown seven inches, we did one that was uh, based on four, pieces of artwork by uh, the artist Scott Eicher. And this yeah. is uh, yeah, yeah. the one called the Scott Eicher EP and Petra Hayden uh, guest, guests on the violin on that one. And uh, so I wrote a song for each one of these four panels. So it's a little four movement, mini, mini micro nano opera. And uh, the way I did it is I looked at the four panels, these four characters, and I came up with kind of a little screenplay in my head. Like, what's the story about hmm. the relationship here? And then I wrote the music for the little fake movie in my head, you know? Right. And uh, I sent these things to Watt and I was like, Hey, uh, you want to write words to, to one of these? And he said, well, yeah, I can do that, but tell me what it's about. So I kind of told him my little screenplay and he took those words and that's all he used for the vocals. He sent it back and I was listening to him. I was like, man, these words are great. And then I remember thinking like, wait a minute, this is what I wrote and sent to him. <laughs> Like this, that, that seems familiar somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and so at that moment, I thought to myself, like, 
Well, you know what, if that's what it is, this is an example of me writing the words for this song, I can do this. And so again, it's an example of like the band, people in the band helping me understand that I have the ability to do the thing that I want to do in the band. Right. You know, it's like it's this crazy, like, or, 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 uh, you know, the snake that eats his own. <laughs> Aerobarus. But I like, I like aerobic as like almost being aerobic as certainly Spellcheck would say. It's like an, it's like an aerobic example, you know, <laughs> of what it example. does for me, you know, um, <laughs> Which I think is this really cool thing because I, you know, like the band is like this gift that kind of keeps giving people different. Yeah. It teaches you about yourself, you know, like the more you, you deal with the music, with the people, it's a really beautiful thing. And so anyways, uh, so at that point I was like, oh, you know what? All right. So I can go back to 13 year old me and I can give him a pat on the shoulder and say, you know what? You can do whatever you want. And so yeah. I kind of gave myself permission to write uh, words and sing. So this, the spring tour we just did. 48 shows in 48 days yeah. I sang every night. I wrote four new tunes for the new record that's me singing. Um, and those guys were really supportive of it. And, uh, you know, they backed me up a little bit. And, um, yeah, the next record is going to be mostly vocals. So, yeah, that's a, that's a new thing for me with this band. And uh, I'm pretty psyched about it. Well, and it's – and that's fantastic. That's that's super cool. I, I think it also is it's, – it's notable because I, I, I think there's a block for a lot of people with singing – uh, even very exactly. accomplished musicians that maybe they just exactly. feel like it's I've not been there. Yeah. yeah, they just feel like it's not for them, you know, or that that you know, if you're a very accomplished musician, maybe you know very accomplished singers too, and you're like, well, I can't do any of that. Like that's. Oh well, yeah, that's I mean, not, I'm not doing opera, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then it's, but I, then it's so important too because the world of, you know, punk rock and whatnot is just like, well, it doesn't really matter like how good you are. It's if you got something to say. It was always expressing yourself. It's yeah. always been just, you have to express yourself, you know, and that's all I've wanted to do. So why shouldn't I allow myself to do it this way? Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, it's, again, it can, th people think they know what to expect from you. It can throw them right off too, which is also a uh, fun. Yeah, I always like that. <laughs> it's a fun thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So then you've got like a kind of solid, unit you know you can you can play. so how do you feel okay as someone that has has foot in different feets foots foots feet different feet in different worlds the audiences uh for the mssv stuff do they trend more towards like people that are just like rock people um you know what, what was the initial reception before people kind of knew what to expect from it no yeah i it's all kinds of people and that's what i love and that's how what i hope it continues to be i want the rock people to come and think it's a some avant-garde jazz band and i want the avant-garde jazz people to come and leave thinking it's some kind of rock band yeah you know that's <laughs> in my mind that's exactly what should happen it doesn't matter it's like the rashomon the, effect or something right? it doesn't matter what the venue <laughs> tells them their subliminal mind what they think it's supposed to be it doesn't yeah. matter what the personnel on the jacket of the record cover thinks makes them think that it's supposed to be it doesn't matter what the instrumentation makes them think that it's what it's supposed to be i want it to be like you never know what it is and if it's some of this and some of that and some of that the most important thing is that it has its own sound and it sounds like a band even though you might not know necessarily what kind of music it is yeah it might be difficult to explain but it's it's definitely bad. I mean, I, I referenced 
uh, my friend Brendan's band, uh, Mesthetics, that I know you guys have played with. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah, I'm buddies with Anthony. Yeah, yeah, and they which, actually, we, yeah, we did a double bill in Baltimore on that. Which, tour. which, yeah, it, really it kind of hits the same way as that, right? That it's not like there's like jazzy, jazzy. That's a terrible descriptor. Sorry. There's like <laughs> there's like elements of like you know free music and like instrumental stuff, but like it's it's yeah. it is actually pretty tightly composed with, and it it kind of straddles both of those worlds in a way that I think is. Um, I almost kind of feel like there used to be more of those bands kind of kicking around, but like I think that that's like that's a great double bill as far as I'm concerned because they're not bands that sound like each other, but there's definitely like a like-mindedness to it via approach. Yeah, there's an unlimited, there's an unlimited like taking of music, and you know, like it doesn't, no one's, no one's got the jazz police or the rock police (laughs) or the punk police or the folk police or the country police on stage. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, and and the audience. They don't want that either. No, I'm just trying to imagine what the jazz police uniforms look like, and uh, I'm having a good time doing it. Uh, Probably all black. <laughs> exactly. They definitely Watch would have you. a. They would for sure have a uniform for sure in the jazz police. Uh, okay, cool. So then, uh, so okay, all right. So let's get back to because I want to. I want to talk a bit more about the new record. Does Keltner have any crazy like? you know, uh, Plastic Ono band stories or anything from, like, back in the day. I mean, I, he played on, like, you know, Nilsson. He played – that guy's played with everyone. Like, he's, he's like, Ray He's Cooter. got amazing stories. Yeah, he's yeah. got amazing stories. D- does it – does he ever bust one loose? You're like, oh, right. That, that's, like, that's the thing that that's the thing that you did. Because I, I can only imagine where you get down to it. You're seeing each other as musicians, hearing each other as musicians. You're, you're right in it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ, this guy's done everything. Um, well, I mean, I already knew that going in. Sure. So sure. I mean, well, of course you asked him, right? I, wasn't but, trying but... To, I mean, the last thing I want to do is like psych myself out while I'm playing. Um, but I, I think I just kind of like, I had the lot of, I had all those thoughts before it happened, Yeah. but you know, like Jim is so, he's so chill and so supportive and so patient and such a cool, like positive dude that it was like, you know, it was just like he puts you at ease right away anyway. So there wasn't really any of that kind of mental gymnastics. He was just such a he's such a pro patient, creative, supportive guy to play with. It was like it couldn't have been easier, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it seems seems like he's just what is the cool. I mean, obviously, he's played with freaking everyone. Right. I mean, so it's like, obviously, he's so, just, yeah. it's like he now can, he has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not now he has. Exactly. Uh, so it seems like you you know must be a relatively agreeable dude, but it, it, it's I think like, you know I'm just thinking back like uh, with like the just the 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 level of discography that he has is you know it's it's up there with like the Wrecking Crew or something really as far you know yeah well that, right that's his scene but there, you know there's two things that come to mind actually like the first the first um, thing is that he there's another situation where this guy is like wants to spend all the time he needs to get the part right for, for the song that we're working on. Yeah. And again, it's a humbling thing for me. It's like my dumb little song, you know, but here's Jim Kelton yeah. like asking me like, what does this drum part need? It's missing something. What does it need? You know, doing another take, trying something else out, asking about the tempo, you know, like he cares about getting the music right and making it as best as he can. Yeah. And that's like a really humbling thing to see and to be a part of for me. I, I really appreciated that. And like, I'm totally indebted to him for showing me that, you still do that at 80, you know, when you're Jim Keltner, you still sit there and you think about what snare drum 
should you be playing? Yeah, yeah. And what does this song need that it doesn't have yet in the second take? I mean, that's that's awesome, you know. And this, the second thing, um, the second thing, uh, I actually just forgot what the second thing was. Well, I mean, because yeah, because I mean, that guy's somebody's very thoughtful about what he does, but it doesn't sound like he's overthinking. Which I think oh, I remember the second thing now. Yeah, the second thing was I wanted to put some slide guitar on, uh-huh. on one of these things. Yeah, and it was a, it was an overdub, so it happened later on. It was on the song called uh, F- uh, "Fake Break," uh-huh. um, and there's some I have a little lap steel here, and so I did lap steel slide parts. But I remember thinking like, "Man, I'm glad I'm doing this as an overdub because <laughs> I don't want to be playing." my like dumbass attitude slide 20 take slide guitar parts with the guy who's played with George Harrison. Right. Like some of the masters of the instrument. Yeah. Blake Mills. Yeah. And you know, on and on and on. No pressure. That that would have been the moment where I was like, Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, that, that would be a lot. (laughs) So yeah, sometimes it's nice to, to be able to work independently that way and, and just, just have the output with it. Um, so let's so Mike if you if you're into it because again because I think the I think the record's awesome the, the new record the everyone would go much. record it's great um this is something I kind of started doing a ways back where uh, I kind of just go through song by song and uh, if you can tell me a little bit about each one like how the how the song relates how the song title relates to the the song you know composition arrangement uh, recording just any any kind of anything that is associated to it with you and that you'd like to share with folks. Does that sound all right? For sure. For sure. Okay, cool. So, uh, first, first song is also, I don't know. Does everybody see the chat that you got going on over here? Or is that just for like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's for folks on the folks on YouTube, folks on the podcast are not going to see the chat. So J-Bone gives a shout out to Gainesville. Yeah. (laughs) Birth town of Gainesville. So I want to give a shout out back to Uh, that. Yeah, they're uh, you know like I I, I at one point when I first started doing this I would kind of throw the comments up. Uh, it's got distracting though, especially when it gets like really rowdy. I mean, some it's great sometimes, but sometimes it's you have just a like, pretty respectable comment audience here, so it seems like- exactly. Some some sometimes you get. I'm not I'm not gonna say the type of artist, but sometimes you get rowdier crowds. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> we will leave it at that. Uh, so yeah, so let's talk. So let's talk about uh, the title track. Everyone we go, not everywhere we go, as autocorrect will tell you. It's every when we go, the first song. Tell me about that one. Yeah, I think the the title, at least the concept of this word, everyone, I think that this word was introduced to me by Henry Kaiser, uh, another amazing guitar oh, player. Great guitar player. Yeah, you can. Friend, friend of mine. Yeah. Um, really beautiful, generous, sweet, amazing guy. Um, and obviously, like, groundbreaking musician. But, um, I think he was explaining this idea of everyone, like, yeah, it's like everywhere, but with time, you know? (laughs) And I remember thinking like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. If you have a word that refers to every place at once, which is already a totally bizarre thought, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. Why can't you have a word, the same word that refers to every moment in time at once? So everyone, right? And it's just sort of like a, it's kind of an intoxicating idea thinking about something that traverses all times at, at once, you know, or something that could exist in all times. Um, and I tend to think that the best music can sort of fit that description. Um, and so I wanted to kind of think about this second chance with this group making this record as really being able to try to focus on this idea of making music that that can exist in any 
place and in any time, you know, but it would still have something to say in those areas, you know. So that was kind of just the the little title thought. A lot of times titles, I just sort of have like a notebook where I write down interesting words for titles. Uh, a lot of times I'll write the music and then I need to, you need to call it something. So I go to my little list. And yeah. I, new I idea. Number like, seven is not going to fly. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> although I have, I have found now writing lyrics, writing words for the MSSV stuff that gives you the, the title, you know, so the, and really I'm talking about instrumental music for that. Um, but that song, that was one of the three pieces that I wrote for specifically for this session that are actual compositions, like no improv, no free improv kind of pieces. But um, that one I came in with, I wrote it. It was one of these ones where the melody comes to me pretty quickly. And that doesn't happen all the time. That happened with Hospital Song, that song from the Wallflowers uh -huh. record. Yeah, yeah. Um, it happened with this one. There's maybe been a couple of other songs in my life where it just comes and you're like, whoa, I need to get some paper and pencil going right now. Like it know, just touches you know. down in your brain somehow of like, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. I try not to ignore those things. I mean, I do hear a lot of music a lot of times and I do try to sing it into the phone or, or the recorder or whatever, at least to just get to not forget it. And I have like, I have my voice memo thing on my phone. It's just this running log of like just little snippets of like, there's like hundreds of little ideas in there. Um, and I, eventually I go back and I start piecing things together when I want to work on stuff. But this one just came and I was at the guitar and I started writing it and uh, it was just a, a gift. It was cool. So it came out and I knew it would sound great with those guys playing it. Did you have the song title before you knew what the album was going to be called or? I think I had the song and then I had this idea of everyone and I, I just kind of substituted the word for a little phrase where everywhere we go, every when we go. And then it just sort of made sense that that should be the name of the record too. Do you like uh, time travel stories? Are you a fan of those? Do I have any what? Do you like time travel stories? Like uh, people that, uh, where that's the conceit of like a movie or a TV show or book or something along those lines. Um, I've, I've never uh, time traveled myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any time travel stories yet. That's fine. I'm only bringing it up because I've had people on the, the, this out of nowhere declared their absolute disdain for time travel storytelling. Like having like, you know, any kind of like time shifting or like whatever, like they just hate it. And I'm like, that seems like a weird thing, an arbitrary thing to decide. But okay. <laughs> yeah, that is a little weird. Yeah, because, cause, you know, tomorrow... I'm going to remember this. Yeah, but he's like, you're, because we're all time traveling every day of the week, every hour. <laughs> I'm not going to hate it. It's just at that point, it's just the past, right? But right, So we've all exactly. already time traveled in that way. Exactly. So maybe you should ask me this question tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> After we've time traveled, yeah. Uh, second song, This Is Not a Euphemism. Yeah, now this this is one of, so we did another bunch of improv in this session. We'd improvise for maybe another 90 minutes on this day. Um. And so this was one of the things that came out of that. And I think this was actually, this piece was actually the, I think at the very end of the, um, the 90 minutes we did, this was sort of the last chunk of stuff that we were improvising turned into this crazy groove uh, between Jim and Watt. And, you know, like when we made the first record, my, my basic thought was like, I can't believe no one's had uh, Jim Keltner and Mike Watt play together before. Right. I guess, I guess we'll do it now. And then in my mind, like my involvement was pretty 
inconsequential at that point because the main point was just like yeah, to have just, these like, co- uh, like uh, completely like amazing yeah you know, unfortunately uh, i have to be a part of it but <laughs> well there's like this hero level rhythm section but you're letting the rhythm section you know let them do their thing and then you're adding stuff that's not like trying to compete for space or yeah and so like that's what yeah. happened in like when we're improvising i remember this from the last time it happened too there's a lot of points where like something great was going on and the thought in my mind was like don't play a bunch of stuff on top of this yeah don't there's no need to overplay on this don't fill it up which (laughs) is usually the running dialogue in my head anyways don't overplay you know leave some room let it breathe you know but uh that idea of like just trusting that the music is going to come together because something great is already happening you don't need to try at that point you just you just need to get out of the get out of the way and let it happen and that includes letting whatever you're going to do happen without forcing anything um, and this was a really good example of, I think, when I was pretty successful at being able to not uh, ruin something that was going going <laughs> along really good. <laughs> well, it's it sits very nicely in the two slot too. You know, that's like a that's a that's a nice place. That's a nice place for that to be. Like it's, it's yeah, like it's a good groove. And um, I did embellish it. I I do a lot of live looping and live sampling with little guitar devices and stuff. And there is uh, an overdub on this one that is uh, sort of floating around the stereo field just to kind of add a little texture to it and that's also informed by some of the guitar stuff and some of the bass stuff so it was again kind of taking the free stuff transcribing some parts of it just to see what was going on harmonically what could go what was going on rhythmically and what could i add that would be cool and then also kind of uh i think overdubbing some of the melodic parts as well on that song the next one is in the center Okay, yeah. So, so this is interesting too. Um, the first record, the Wildflowers record, the first one with mm-hmm. Jim and, yeah. and Mike. Um, I did a, a day at Big Ego before the recording day, the trio day, where I was just recording solo stuff, solo pieces. And um, so, like the solo version of Blue Velvet on my friend's 1931 National guitar that's on Wall of Flowers, that was done that previous day. There were a couple of other things done that day, including in the center. So this this solo piece was done back in 2017, the day before the Wall of Flowers session. And I was oh, wow. initially going to include it on that that secret uh, third record, which now which may never come out. But the, the one that was the rest of the improv from the first session, right? I was going to put it on that. But I thought this was still a good piece, and I thought it was still a good way to kind of include some ambient kind of uh, palette cleanser on this record um, and I still like the song. So that's where that one is from. Um, I think that's just a title I grabbed from somewhere. It sounded like something in the body or whatever. I don't know. It just seemed like it was kind of emanating from something. Do you, uh, are you a note taker when it comes time to song title ideas? Would you like take notes of them? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a whole like book full of just interesting phrases, you know, found phrases, magpie it up. <laughs> yeah, or like if I'm reading and there's some interesting title, I think the I think the dirty smell of dying actually comes from a, a Don DeLillo book, um, or it might be a slight bastardization of, of one of his phrases from from something I forget what, but I believe it, I believe I lifted it from there. Uh, malpropism is like one of the best ways to get awesome song titles too. Okay. Which, Noted. which uh, I can I can speak personally to that because my dad, who's lost a lot of hearing, 
uh, but you know, likes the rock and whatnot. He'll mishear yeah. things, but he will mishear things as much more like funny or clever than they are all the time. <laughs> and it's just a constant source of amusement for me. And uh, quick, write it down. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh my god, I gotta write that down immediately. That's amazing. But that is not what I said. But <laughs> I like that. Uh, oh, uh, so that's in the center. Yank it out. That's a that's a what. What written one. It's a Watt tune, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you have to ask him about that one, yeah. Which I'm sure you did. I, I did. We talked, we talked a little bit about it, and it's, uh, that's, you know, it, it fits nicely in there. Um, how did, how did that? I work? was so happy that he brought that to the session. I mean, I kind of asked him, like, you know, I didn't even ask him. I was like, you know, if we do improv again, maybe if you want to have a couple little bass motifs or something, that would be cool to surprise us, you know. And uh, he and I got together before this session to do a couple of days of prac on like the songs that I brought. Yeah. And I, I rolled into his pad on the first day and he's like, all right, check out this tune I wrote. It's like this whole thing that he wrote. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Yeah. I think he was even like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, I don't know. Do you think we could do it? I was like, of course we're going to do it. What are yeah. you talking about? Um, but he didn't have the good, it was just the bass parts. And so he taught them to me and I came up with the guitar parts that would fit with it. And then he had ideas for drum parts, but I don't think he told Jim that much. Jim just came up with, he found the right stuff to play. Something I mean, cool. it was really great. And I think also I remember around this time, Watt was really listening a lot to that um, that new live, uh, Coltrane Love Supreme, live in Seattle. Oh, yeah, they, they, yeah, 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 good stuff. So I think he was like way on that tip and thinking about the the, the Coltrane Elvin thing when it came to the guitar solo with, with Keltner lighting it up too. I think that, that played a part of this somehow. It sits nicely, like it sounds. It sounds unique. It doesn't sound like it would be just on a Mike Watt record necessarily, but it's. It sounds. It sounds like you. It's a band. It. Yeah, it's. It's a band. <laughs> As it turns out, it's a band. Well, it's like when you write something thinking about people, you know, like that was kind of, for me, that was always sort of like I. I first heard about like Duke Ellington. I think that was the way he would write. He said he didn't. He didn't write for instruments. He wrote for the players. Yeah. He wrote for the way somebody plays this instrument you didn't write for just alto sax too or whatever you know yeah and that idea to me was always like a really beautiful idea because i always thought one of the coolest things about music is the way people sound like individuals so why not write for that um so that's something that i've always tried to carry through and it's really cool when i see other people doing that too like like in this case you mentioned a little bit earlier but fake break what's next yeah um yeah that song that's actually i don't think i told this i don't think anyone's ever asked about this song but um that song is uh i really like uh, this guy blake mills this um guitarist uh composer improviser producer wonder wonder person um He's got a really beautiful sound that's like really individual the way he plays. He's got this very vocal quality to the way he plays. And I also like love his voice and the songs he writes. Um, but there was a song that came out uh, kind of mid mid lockdown. Um, and it came out on this new record. Actually, it's a bass player's song, Pino Palladino, wrote all this music. And uh, they recorded it. So it's, I think everybody thought it was like a Blake Mills song at first, but it's actually a Pino Palladino song. The record is like Pino Palladino with Blake Mills. I forget how they did the billing. Yeah. But it was another one. I, I related to it because I was like, oh, this is a little confusing for people. I can relate to that. <laughs> you know? um, like, I want to do that. I want to confuse people. Like, I want to try to confuse the audience totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's my um, main goal. <laughs> about whose project this is and what's the name of it is and how you spell it and what it stands for. 
But um, <laughs> there was a song that came out. I think the song was called it's called Just Wrong. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had this really beautiful bass line that kind of like fit with the guitar chords in this really interesting way. And it was like kind of a sensation because I think like, you know, when I would occasionally flip through like the Instagram videos, of course, they're like tailored to my right. deal. So it's like all yeah. guitar <laughs> nonsense. Yeah. But it was just like one guitarist after another playing the intro to this song, like as a solo piece, you know, so you were just kind of hearing it everywhere. But it was also a really beautiful song. And I love the idea of there being this bass melody or a melody being played on the bass in a way that interconnected with sort of a rhythmic chordal thing on the guitar. And there was something about that that was really, it just spoke to me in that moment. And a lot of times when I hear music like that, my my first reaction is not, I have to learn that. That's actually the furthest thing from my mind. I don't want to learn it. <laughs> But what I right, want to yeah. do, the, the reaction is kind of like, what would my song sound like with that idea? Interesting. And so that's where this song comes from. It was a little experiment of being, being hearing that song, that Pino Palladino song, Just Wrong with Blake Mills. But in my thought of like, what would my song sound like that has the things that stick out to me most when I listen to it through my, my ear filter what does that come out as? Right. And that's kind of what this piece was. There's a few other elements and stuff in there, but um, that was sort of the impetus for it. Nice. Yeah. I called it, I called it fake Blake, but that seemed like too obvious. <laughs> so, just, so then it became fake break. That's I just good. changed the word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not enough of time. That's the other solo piece, right? Mm-hmm. That was another one done at the 2017 session before Wall of Flowers um, that I still felt was a good a good little ambient palette cleansing piece. So I kept that. Um, just again, phrase from the notebook for the title. Did you have anything specifically you're trying to evoke or invoke? I don't know what the correct term is. <laughs> with, with that one, I, I guess evoke. Um, Invoke would be if you were casting spells, I guess. So that's <laughs> I could be doing that a little bit, I guess. I don't know what you're up to, sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think there was a this is the one that has the this sort of textural loop thing yeah. and um it has a set of chords that are doubled on uh, electric and twelve string electric and then my friend's uh nineteen thirty one national dualian that I get to borrow when I go out west. Um and actually, uh, you know, the chords on this piece, <clears throat> I think there's five chords. It's kind of coming back to me. No, it's actually in that notebook back there somewhere. Nice. But there's five chords. And uh, what was happening with that that sort of second Baguetta Keltner Watt record that lives on my hard drive only, um, I had written this kind of compositional orchestrational thread throughout all the pieces that were based on this sort of five chord sort of shifting design. In this piece, Not Enough of Time was actually going to be the first piece on the record that sort of displays kind of just like a little raw version of what's about to come and weave its way through all these pieces. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a set piece that way or something. Yeah, right. But since that, no one will ever hear that record, I figured, well, I'll at least put, put it on here. <laughs> Because I think it stands on its own, so it's okay, you know, just by itself. What? Why do you just? Why do you think no one's ever going to hear that one? Was that just? Well, 
Um, You're in a different spot now, and you don't want to do I it. I guess or? I don't know that. I guess uh, I guess I don't know. I guess uh, I don't know. There's just like trust between the people you work with. I think like yeah, Jim heard it, and he said, "Sounds great, but why don't we do something new?" Right. And in my mind, that was his choice. You know, um, so it'd be kind of like a weird, weird thing. Makes sense. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with moving forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, look, someday I'll die. And they, I won't, and they can, they I won't have any say in what comes out and what doesn't. So That's true. Good point. Good, good point. Uh, Fear Mongers. So what's up next? Fear Mongers was uh, another one of the uh, from the, our free improv session. And this might have been actually kind of the beginning of the free improv session now that I think about it. I don't really remember. But... Um, yeah, I think this was just, uh, again, something got set up and we got into some groove. This is a really weird groove. This is like, a, not weird, but just like, it's kind of time with no time, which is not yeah. really different too. I mean, that's like, to my ears, that's always been kind of a Paul Motion thing or a Rashid Ali thing. But uh, the idea of like displaying momentum and time without steady time, right? Um, Although there is kind of steady time, but this is, this is such a big give and take, such an organic feel to the way Jim and, and Mike play together, uh, that they got into this really heavy, deep, dirty groove. And uh, I was trying to play stuff on top that had nothing to do with it, but still kind of fit in in some sort of like dramatic way. Yeah, it kind of weaves in a little bit, kind of... <laughs> kind of weaves in yeah but it's real weedy too it's real like kind of swampy almost mm -hmm. you know like a in like a atonal 12 tone avant swamp improv thing <laughs> avant swamp <laughs> avant swamp is pretty great man that's a, that's a great avant term. swamp prov <laughs> for my gainesville prov. people <laughs> there you go yeah, yeah exactly for all the gainesville folks uh nice uh, and so then we have the we have measure of a life with with the intro as like a separate kind of thing as well. But yeah, measure measure of a life. Yeah, and so this is the last the solo intro measure of a life yeah. again on my friend's nineteen thirty one National Duolian Resonator guitar that I think about and wish was mine. Um, that that was another solo piece. That song, that melody, that intro track, that was just improvised back on that original solo session before wall of flowers that was just i had this guitar and i just played this little folk sounding kind of melody and that recording of the intro that was the very first and only time i played it and that was it and uh coming back to knowing i was going to do this session i always kind of thought about that song never checked it out never worked on it but i knew it was in there it was in the actually in the recording and in my mind i knew i would sit down and i would kind of flesh it out one of these days. So it gave me a reason to do that because I thought it would be really cool to play it with these guys because it kind of tied into that first session and it never yeah. was going to be used or whatever, but um, it was just this really beautiful thing that just kind of unspooled while I was playing this guitar. And uh, so I just transcribed it and I was going to start changing stuff and because there's like a funny number of bars I think there's like a nine bar section in the Yeah, I didn't, wasn't sitting there counting it, but I did notice that it was like. Yeah, <laughs> and so I was going to change it, but then I was like, man, I shouldn't change it because it's all this built in breath. Uh, yeah. And I think I should just keep it pretty honest to what it was. So I just 
I just lifted it from that solo recording and just kind of wrote it out as a chart. And then we just, we played it. I think I added like a little middle section um, that I doubled on acoustic, but, um, but yeah, that was just that. That was like another great moment of a, a song that kind of presented itself. I didn't know anything would ever happen with that song, but it, it turned out really good. I wrote a real simple bass line. And I remember Watt came up with a much better one at, at one of our practices. <laughs> right, um, right, yeah. That little like half step. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I just yeah, sort of yeah. had the note. I just had boom, 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 boom. Well, but, it's, you know, it's a classic Watt style. You've got such a thing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a classic Watt style bass line too, which is so, you know, it's gorgeous. perfect. It's, it's, it's like, oh yeah, that's. I know who's yep. playing that, you know, yep. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like I, I, I think when I had, uh, Stefan Edgerton on from, uh, descendants and all, yeah. and, um, you know, flag and, and what it's, it's like, that's a dude that once he starts, I know who that is. I know. I know who's, I know who's playing guitar there. <laughs> I know. I really aspire to that idea that you can hear like one note and you say, Oh, I know who that is. Yeah. You know? That's a, I love it. That's one of the most beautiful things about music, you know? It's like you just have another voice, another way of expressing yourself on, in a different medium where you can do stuff you can't do every day, you know? Yep. Transcend a little bit. Mm. Uh, and then record, Everyone We Go, slightly tr- Slight Return, which, of course, that, that, that's, that's a Hendrix reference, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You got me, yeah. Um, yeah oh, yeah, yeah. Is... Like, newsflash, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who? <laughs> who? Wait, who? I don't know who that is. Jimmy what? Hen- Henderson? No, it it is. And that actually, um, it's not on the vinyl, but it is because we just ran out of time. Yeah, I think, vinyl, yeah it's too, too, not a... It is on the digital. Record. Yeah. That is actually the first thing that we played that day. It was Everyone We Go is the first tune that we did. Yeah. I think the, the, the actual song on the record, I think that might be the first take. I don't know if we did a second take, but just kind of warming up, getting sounds that was what was slight return. And actually there's some, if you listen really carefully, you can hear a couple of mics kind of being added halfway through because they weren't all set up. You know, we were just playing yeah, just to kind of get sounds and stuff. But later we listened back and we were like, Oh man, this is, this sounds really good. We should do something with this. So that's what that is. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, uh, it's a way to bookend it too. Right. Like, so you, it starts off, with the with the thing and then it kind of ends with a more different version of the thing and you like, could end it you could end it with measure of a life and that's a great ending that's what the ending. vinyl is yeah, yeah. if you're listening all the way through to the digital and you get there you might think that's a great ending and then you hear the other ending which is a different version of the first song but which is actually the first thing we ever played on the end is the very end yeah exactly <laughs> that's also another cool way to end it you know uh, i like that idea where you can listen to the form in different ways and get different things you know kendrick lamar Yes, yes. He put, yeah. he put a record out a couple of years ago called uh, Damn. And there's like a there's like a thing online, you know, where people are talking like, oh, you can, it works forwards and it works backwards. It tells it tells the story forwards, but it tells oh, a different cool. version of the same story backwards. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I never, I never and it actually it. works beautifully. I mean, definitely like they, they planned it that way because it's really slick. But I always like that idea where you can sort of shift the order and get a little different version of the story as you listen through. Uh, it's Ouroboric, some might say. Kind of is Ouroboric, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. So, so, so that's the record. That's um, uh, and of course they can get everyone we go. You can get it. Well, you got it at your at your Bandcamp. The Mike Bagetta. Yeah, if you go to mikebagetta.bandcamp.com, you can find it. Um, 
you can find the vinyl, you can find the digital. Uh, if you want to go to the bigegorecords.com website, you right. can buy it from them. Um, if you want to support your your tech overlords, you can just go to Spotify <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I like to make sure that the artists and musicians get as little money as possible. But what makes it easy for me? Hey, man, convenience, you know. Convenience. Give me convenience or give me death, right? <laughs> so, uh, so uh, awesome, awesome. So the, it's and it's an awesome record. I highly recommend it. It's, it's interesting. Thanks, uh, and we'll, we'll mention it again before we close that. I want to talk to you about the – what do you feel like the place of – uh, effects, digital effects, um, analog effects, um, effects pedals, uh, in your guitar playing, in composition. Uh, I think that's when nerds talk about such things, there's hotly contested uh, debates on both sides of it. Uh, but I feel like you, like Nels Klein, uh, there's, there's a number of players I can think of that like use it very like as a, almost a compositional tool and, and a um, – and a, and a way to kind of make things like different sounding or like or cool sounding, but aren't like a crutch necessarily where that's like the whole thing. Well, um, yeah, I tend to, uh, it's funny as a guitar player, um, there's such a whole like subset of society that is also guitar players. <laughs> and uh, it seems to be like people think that this is some kind of, like particular like special in like little wink wink nudge like oh i see you got the so-and-so pedal <laughs> with the like oh, you, that is you, you got the like, gonculator 5000 huh well, that's a such great a little immediate turn off for me i'm just like man i God. have no interest in talking about this stuff yeah, at yeah. all you know <laughs> yeah um, i'm with you i mean i do i do enjoy like talking about it when it's something i want to talk about but just to kind of talk about it to talk about it seems sort of like um the epitome of like mindlessness to me um that said i know that it is a thing and it's totally fine but uh people get really you know, into it man like and this is not a, <laughs> this is not a gear channel you know but people get really into it yeah i mean that's look it's totally cool any way that people need to do something to make the music they want to make is is great yeah um and so I, I don't really have anything to say on it one way or another um what people do but for me uh, I tend to think about that stuff as extensions of the instrument or as other instruments that inform what I'm going to play. Right. So I think at its worst, an effects unit is something like you, you play your instrument, you turn the thing on, and then you keep playing the same way, only now it sounds a little different. To me, that's sort of like... Um, kind of a mindless use of it, which is not to say that it can't be awesome and exactly what the song needs, you know? But I think for me, I tend to approach it as a way of like, if I put something, if I put something on top of the instrument or in tandem with the instrument, I know that for the way that I hear stuff and the way that I react to stuff, it's gonna make me do something differently. Right. And, uh, and for me that, you have to say that for everything for me for me that's like the way that i think it it works best for what i'm trying to do with it you know um so in my case it, it turned you know like i think people have an idea of what's going on but like if you actually see live like i don't really have that much stuff i don't have like a bunch yeah. of pedals and all kinds of things you, you don't have, have like, like the coffin 
No, yeah, because <laughs> it's just like that. Uh, people are like, oh my god, how many things do you have in there? <laughs> I've found ways to do a lot of stuff just on the instrument or with my fingers yeah. or with little things that I can touch. I really like touching the guitar. I really like feeling the strings. I really like putting my fingers on the strings. I like manipulating the strings with the pick and the whammy bar and, all, and playing different parts of the guitar that aren't normally played, like, and using the volume and tone knobs on the guitar. Like, man, that's most of what I do is that it's come, it's turned out. It wasn't always that way, but that's kind of where I'm at. And I just have a few things that I need for different amounts of sounds, I guess. So like really it's the, it's the guitar, the whammy bar on the guitar, the different parts of the guitar, the volume knob, the pick versus the fingers. That's most of it. And then, um, and then usually I have like a fuzz pedal just to kind of have a bunch of different sort of gnarled up textures that you can manipulate again with the volume knob on the guitar and get different different sort of shades of that uh and then i go into kind of like a little kind of like this little weirdo phaser vibrato it looks like a wah pedal but it's yeah. orange yeah yeah i know they, they didn't make them for a while but and everybody hated them when they, when they came out but um they're cool it's not really quite like a phase shifter and i like to kind of change the speed as i play it and then from that i go into a, a moog um the big ring modulator with the, the wood because it's a really cool tremolo thing and it's really cool uh sort of like uh ring modulation i kind of think about as like a fuzz pedal for like clean clean tone yeah um but the, what i like about that thing is that it kind of can self-manipulate the speed fluctuation so instead of like turning a tremolo on on a guitar amp where you get the whoa 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 this one will kind of go whoa 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 yeah it kind of changes it up as it as it gets super like bizarre for your listeners to hear but no it sort of fluctuates the speed you know yeah i don't know how else to tell you without without doing the sound without doing the sound there's no other way you ever listen to that show car talk remember they oh yeah people would describe the sound from the car they're making yeah amazing amazing i just shoot it into my veins guitar talk it's the same kind (laughs) it's the same stuff yeah the pedal kind of sounds like oh great okay that's that's and then from that sometimes i use a whammy pedal but i've kind of gotten out of that a little bit because it's just sort of one extra thing to bring um some of it too is just traveling like I don't use a, a pedal yeah. board because I it's just too much of a kludge for me. I'm always tripping over it, the wires are coming out. It's just like I just can't get it together on that level. So I need like big things on the ground <laughs> that I'm not going to trip over right. that I can set up and tear down pretty quick. So I don't want to have a lot of stuff and I don't have a lot of little things. You know, everything I have is sort of a big footprint for that reason. But from there, I'd go into an amp, which I use a, a Benson amps, um, this amp they make called the Vincent. Uh, and then from there, I come out of the loop of the amp. I'm giving you the whole tour into a, uh, into a a rundown suddenly, but I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Into a, into like a looping device, which lately is uh, by this company, red Panda called the the tensor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't tried one of those, but I'm familiar with it. It's sort of like a tape machine. Yeah. It's like it does random randomness, which um, is really attractive to me. I can't. And then, uh, and then from that, I go into a delay, which if I'm, Usually if I'm traveling, it's uh, one of those old deluxe memory men, electronics things. But if I, if I can, if I'm driving or if I can find one, I use one of the old Roland Space Echoes. Oh, man. Yeah, those, those are great. But 
boy, like you look at them funny, they break down. I feel like half the time. Like, well, I, I don't think I don't think that so much. I think that's a little bit of a myth. But um, everyone I've that, had has been like that. But that's okay. Well, then I've had maybe, good luck. Maybe I got a bum batch. It is just like a bigger thing to carry, which is it's it's on, it's, it's, it's awkward. Like you're it's not going to take it on a plane, you know. But that's it. I mean, it's really like if you rewind, it's just five things and an amp yeah. and a guitar, you know, and that's plenty. That's plenty for me. Well, because there's there's plenty you can do without the effects as well. I mean, I think back to like Fred Frith doing all the prepared guitar stuff, right? I mean, that's a perfect example. The first record I made, my first record is called Canto, and that's all prepared guitar etudes. I think I recorded it in like 2001. Yeah. Um, and I was listening to a lot of Frith, a lot of Derek Bailey, a lot of Henry Kaiser. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just sort of like, I, I've always been into like, how else can you play the guitar? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> obviously Sonic Youth did their own iteration of that. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, well. first, right, first and, and we, yeah little, big time, big time into Sonic Youth, of course. A little, little more hilariously vulgar, but, you know, as, as, as I was saying the what, I've said it before, say it again. Like, I feel like those two guys together is like my fa- one of my favorite guitar players, like Lee and Thurston. Like entity is like, like I love the, the, they're both great, but together it's like that. Well, they're very complementary to each yes, other for yes. sure, you know, because I think there's a lot, there's a lot that each of the other one can't do. Agreed. So I think you make a good point. You know, yeah, they're like sort of the Voltron of uh, <laughs> of noisy guitar stuff. Guitarists, right? yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, hey, uh, Mike, this has been great, man. Uh, thanks so much for spending so much time with me. Uh, so, oh, that, so there's, of course, I'll, I'll put in the show notes the um, the new record. Everyone we go. There is a an MSSV record coming out. Are there any uh, tour plans or anything along those lines that you can talk about right now for 2020? Uh, I'm I'm actually starting it uh, right now. Planning it. Fantastic. <laughs> not, not starting the tour. It's a great... But it's going to probably <laughs> I gonna, be. I was going to uh, say, that's ambitious. <laughs> yeah. It's probably going to be most of September and October of next year. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure I'll be sure to check it out. And uh, I urge everyone. You're in Milwaukee? Well. I live in Milwaukee. Yeah. You. Did you play, did you play Milwaukee last time? I think you played, you played Chicago. You yeah. did play. I want to say my band was playing the same that you were playing at a totally different city. And I was bummed that it was like literally at exactly the same time. Cause I was like, Oh, I would totally love to go to that, but I don't oh, remember yeah. what city well, it was. We'll but... try and get up there this time for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, 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 I like the record. I'll see it eventually. That's a, that's the thing. So, uh, so Mike, this is the only, um, the only can question that, that I ever ask. Uh, it's you can choose to interpret it however you like. Uh, why do you do what you do? I don't know how to do anything else. Fair enough. It's all I've ever wanted to do was just do music, you know. Ever since I saw my dad playing guitar and he would play it for me, I was like hooked. Mike Begat, it's been so great having you, man. Thanks so much for coming on, brother. Thanks, Conan. It's a treat. Take care and uh, check you later. Thank you. All right, there he goes, Mike. We got it. Let's. Why don't we hear uh, one of the songs off of this fantastic record that they did? Uh, this is going to be. You know what? Let's just go. I think I did. I do. What did I play in that one episode? Let's just go. Let's go with the. Uh, let's go with the title track. That's a good one. 
Everyone we go, we got a Keltner Watt. That's the that's the title track. And it's a, it's a great little record. Uh, go ahead and uh, check that out. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, let's hear some main steam stop valve MSSV. This is the Eureka moment.
know, but it was dead. Who blew the glass? Who blew the glass? Who blew the glass? Who blew the glass? Hammer! 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 Pressure! 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 Enjoy learning! Learn it! Learn it! Eureka! Eureka moment. Main team stop valve. MSSV. Here's Blue Velvet. Thank you. 
Blue Velvet. That is uh, Bagetta, Keltner, Watt. One more is Fearmongers.
So there you go. That was uh, Fearmongers. So you can get that as well as. Oh, yeah, what did I play before? <laughs> yeah, it was uh... oh, a little blue velvet for you. That was on the Life Flowers. Uh, actually, that is on the not the Life Flowers version. That is the Wall of Flowers uh, version of that. I'm all over the place here. Anyway, uh, so Mainstream Stop, Main Steam Stop Valve, MSSV. And a book ended by some Bagetta Keltner Watt, including two from Everyone We Go. Good record, guys. Check it out. Hey, I'd like to thank Mike Bagetta for being on the show. I think it's, if I get Keltner on, I'd have the triumvirate, right? Uh, the name of the show is Conan Transportonic Reversal. Thank you so very much for listening to it. This show airs Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific, YouTube, Twitch, and good old RadioNope.com. Archives of the shows are always available for free, for free people. BertonConversal.com, no ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you like the show, though, and you want to get episodes sooner and or support the show, you can do that. Yes, you can. You can do that. Patreon.com slash Reversal. $1 a month will achieve that goal gladly. Right now, if you want to hear the Mike Watt episode, you're going to have to pony up a buck. But it's good. It's like the other, the other side of this, right? Always appreciate people sharing the episodes around that they like letting people know about it writing reviews is goofy but it helps with the all powerful and all encompassing algorithm uh, but yeah most of all thanks for listening I appreciate it this microphone turns sound into electricity lots of great stuff coming up Alec Mackay hammered holes next week Can you hear me now? stay safe out there out on route 128 and check you later. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. Broadcasting if there's no one there to receive. It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Hey, hey!